OCI is the single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. Do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic. Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash wallstreet. Coming up on the Money Bee podcast, competition is usually the cure for higher prices, except when it comes to prescription drugs. And also this holiday season, virtual reality has arrived. Where are the consumers? This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio on the last Monday in, in November is what this is, Grosser. That's a, that's a big Monday, then. It's a big Monday. It is a huge Monday, some might say. But you want to know the sad thing? What is the sad thing? When you say that, that means one thing to me. Jobs Friday? Yeah. That's how I count my life. <laughs> That's okay. All right. Just ticking off the Jobs Fridays reports. Yes, uh, Friday will be the monthly non-farm payrolls report, and we will be reporting on it. We'll be talking about it. There, there's, there's your preview. There's your pre- preview for the week, right? We will be talking about it. Yeah. Although I don't see how it's not that, you know, it's probably not going to be that big a deal. No. Grocer, did you have a nice Thanksgiving? I did. I you did. did. I spatchcocked the turkey. You did? And grilled it and smoked it. And how was it? It was very good. It was fantastic. Juicy. Yes. Did you bring it any you did did you no. bring any to the office? No, no. Why not? There wasn't a lot left. Oh, oh is Family that good? was down. You should make some for us. I have in years past, actually. And brought it into the office? Yeah. Where was I? Well when I used to work the night shift, we used to have to, we had to work Thanksgiving because we don't publish on Thursday and then everyone right. has to work. So I you know, cook Thanksgiving dinner for everyone. Look at this guy. What do you think? Well, they, of that? I would get I would get money. Like the company actually would pay me to go get the groceries and stuff. Wow! Like that. Yeah. Can we do that again? I don't think so. <sighs> wow! The salad days. This, this is back in like you know 2014. Right. Right. All right. All right. Let's move on. Hey, uh, today we have an interesting story for you, and to talk about it, we have our our friend Jonathan Rockoff. Jonathan, how are you? Good. So a uh, story that you had, Jonathan, on the front page of the business and finance section today, talking about drug prices. And it's sort of interesting because you think competition is sort of the cure-all for everything, right? Competition in any market, any, any item, anything you think of. If you have you know, two or more people competing, prices should be coming down. Uh, that is not happening when it comes to the prices of drugs, though. That's right. I thought we were going to talk a little bit more about uh, Stephen's turkey, but yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to talk about talk about the drug pricing? You, you let's get serious. I've wanted to move this into a great. cooking show uh, for years. Spatchcock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Spatchcock podcast. We, we brought That's this up. coming smoked. soon. Look for it. Mm. What'd you well, do? What'd you do for for Thanksgiving? Did you cook? Uh, I cooked the stuffing actually, you but did. it was sort of like a family potluck. My yeah. mother-in-law made most of the stuff. Okay, but grilled and smoked—that's that sounds special. I know yeah. this guy over here, huh? Wow. <laughs> I, 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 it's a, it's, it's been a long experimental process with the turkey because we, I've been cooking Thanksgiving dinner for twenty years now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Twenty years. Yeah, huh? twenty years. Yeah, I really didn't know this about this guy that he was. Or, uh, nineteen, nineteen to be exact. Nineteen ninety-seven was the first time I cooked it. Wow. Yeah. So you got to bring some in. You got to bring some in yeah, next year. Really? Make two turkeys. I'll give you like four bucks. You know, I'll help you out on it. You know, I'll yeah, do yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> four bucks. Four bucks. I got to buy a turkey, <laughs> yeah. won't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, with the prices of, of meat these days, right? That's yeah, right. And the, and the real reason to actually make a turkey, uh, you know, to cook the turkey and everything is really the sandwich. 
the cranberry sandwich. Mm. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. See, I mean, it's 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 all an exercise to get to the leftovers the next day. <laughs> so true. Not helping us. All right, Jonathan Rockoff. Drug prices not going down. Surprisingly, going up. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, which is, um, you know, the Journal and other outlets and politicians in Washington and elsewhere have made a big deal about how drugs are getting more and more expensive and their prices are going up by, Mm -hmm. in some cases, triple-digit percentages, right? And so one of the common refrains we hear is folks, Democrats and Republicans on Washington included, saying what we need is more competition. And it's actually a lot more complicated than that. Drug pricing, we know, is incredibly complicated matter. Um, But just offering the solution of providing some competition won't necessarily address it. And so what this story shows is how even in categories like male impotence, where we have multiple drugs competing against each other, the prices of the drugs will go up. In fact, not only will go up, but will go up together. Right, right. So within days or weeks of each other, they'll go up by similar percentages. Well, the anecdote that you led off with was about Pfizer and um, what's in Eli Lilly, and they they both have, uh, what do they call them these days? Male impotence, whatever. Well, they call them erectile dysfunction. Erectile dysfunction, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, They both have products for that. And you talked about how closely and how in in time and amount that they went up I right mean, yeah the price they don't compete on price and it's not all the drug companies fault right um there are a lot of reasons why price competition in drugs just doesn't work um one patients tend to have a drug that they prefer uh two there might be contracts that for purchasing the drugs by these Entities called drug benefit managers mm-hmm. that rec- that sort of lock in sales of drugs, even if even if there is com- competition out there that's less expensive. And so, for a variety of different reasons, there's not a lot of competition on price. In fact, if you lower the price, you might just be hurting yourself rather than helping yourself. And male impotence is one example, and we went into a bunch of other examples. Um, the The upshot of all of it is. Um, that if we're going to solve the drug pricing situation, it's not going to be a simple solution like having one other competitor out there. It may it may be that competition will help, but we might need multiple competitors who are uh, plus like market based incentives where um, charging less actually matters. No, I, I, that, that's what I thought was interesting. The the sort of list of reasons why it was hard. To you know why it wasn't beneficial to lower prices, and given ever since Hillary had that famous tweet, I think that was October of 2014, drug pricing has been at the forefront of the political sort of election. What does this say about what Washington can do about drug pricing or might do about tri- drug pricing? How does this play into that? Let's let's just even sort of set set the right context for the debate. I mean, the politicians, especially during the campaign. And even after, have made a lot of hay about greedy pharmaceutical companies. And they have been raising prices quite a bit. And over the last several years, they have been 
making an unusual amount of their profits from drug price increases. But drugs, but spending on drugs in the United States still accounts for between 10, only 10 and 20 percent of the amount of money we spend on health care. Yeah. And as much as, as drug prices have gone up, it's still just a fraction of what we spend on health care. And some of that increase in um, drug prices and spending on drugs was offset because there's this sort of natural mechanism um, authorized by law to sort of lower spending on old drugs which have lost patent protection. So what we're dealing with now, however, is as most of those big drugs that, that, that started facing generic competition went off patent, is we're no longer we're no longer seeing that um, generic that sort of influx of generic drugs for our, our high ticket pharmaceuticals, and so we're looking for new ways to squeeze more money out of the segment of healthcare spending that is focused on drugs. And so we're looking at things like male impotence or rheumatoid arthritis drugs, and we're and we're paying closer t- attention to the kind of pricing tactics that we talked about in our article this parallel pricing, and we want to see what we can do to address it. A simple solution about just sort of like making sure that there's one other drug out there, this article suggests just won't work, and it might take multiple competitors. We see that with um, generic drugs, for instance. So when the first generic comes on market and it's just one generic against the the branded drug, which lost patent protection, the, 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 the price differential is relatively small. It's, it takes, you know, several generics to hit the market before we start seeing the, the massive price reductions that we have come to know as the gain from generic competition. You, you know, when I, when I read the article, uh, a couple of questions came up in my mind. One is which is part of the problem that, you know, you talk about these companies being in competition with each other, but, but it's clear that this is not a natural competition. I mean, this is not an open playing field. Because otherwise, price if it really was a truly open playing field with, with companies going after customers, price should matter. But in this case, price doesn't matter. Uh, and I, I know it's a very complicated issue. But as part of this, the fact that – and correct me if I'm wrong. M- most people, when they go to the pharmacy to pick up drugs, they don't see the full price, right? I mean, you, you have your copay, you have whatever limit, you know, but – you're not, you know, you talk about prices here for, for Viagra, some of these drugs, three, four hundred dollars. You know, n- nobody's actually paying that at the counter. Yeah. So uh, two thoughts about that. That's totally right. I mean, one of the complicating factors about drug pricing is we do stories like this, which focus on the list price. Yeah. But the health insurers and the drug benefit managers, which are reimbursing the costs of these drugs for most people, do not pay list price. Mm-hmm. The companies set a list price, and then behind the scenes, confidentially, they have these negotiations where they dis- they negotiate discounts and rebates, and that's what they pay. The problem for us as outsiders trying to look at what's going on with the, the spending on drugs is those discounts and rebates are sort of behind the curtain, yeah. and we don't know exactly what they are. So we tend to focus on on the on the list price, but that's not a true indicator of what is actually being paid for the drugs. Um, now, we did take a look at net pricing. We used um, some analysts at SSR Health to take a look at it. And the list price for, the, for Cialis and Viagra went up more than double over the last five years. The price after discounts and rebates went up about double over the last five years. So that shows that there is a correlation there. Now, the second, the second point I want to make is 
What's interesting about these um, male impotence pills is, well, for, for drugs for cancer, for instance, you know, most health insurers will find a way to reimburse those drugs after they at least do a review, right? Make sure the drugs work mm -hmm. and are safe and so on. But for these lifestyle drugs, there's a significant number of patients whose insurance companies just won't pay for them. They, they look askance at them. They're lifestyle drugs. You don't necessarily need it to live a healthy life. Right. So we're not going to pay for it, right? And so for those people, the list price actually does matter because they could wind up paying the list price entirely out of pocket for the drugs. And so that's, this is sort of a special case where the list price of the drug is especially egregious because it can hit people in their pockets so hard. It also raises the question of collusion, which you sort of get into your article. Why isn't this collusion? Yeah, so this is really, really fascinating. And I didn't know any of this when I stepped in. I thought, oh, there must be some rules against this. This is entirely legal, according to the people that I spoke with. Um, and, and, and you can understand why. First, um, there's a lot of information out there, publicly available information about what the list prices for drugs are. There are, like we use this firm called Connecture, which has these databases with every list price increase and the current list price for each of these drugs, right? It's amazing. And the drug companies can access that data themselves and they can see themselves what their competitor is charging and when they're charging it. And then they can sort of act accordingly. Mm -hmm. And there can be this sort of signaling that goes on between the two which doesn't rise to collusion, which is right. the sort of second aspect of this, which is the courts have set a very high bar for what constitutes collusion. And there has to be actual communications between companies, whether they're drug companies or airlines or in any other industry. There has to be actual communication on pricing in order for it to amount to collusion under the law. And so just looking at publicly available data and making your own decisions based on that publicly available data is not collusive. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's not. It's not collusion. But the way the, the whole table has been set, they don't need to collude. That's, That's right. exactly what you're talking about. They don't need to. They I don't mean, need to. They, they don't have to actually talk to be able to, to play this game of pricing. And I don't know that there's any solution well, to that. Or is there anything wrong with it? I mean, it's, it's, one it of the certainly things, isn't consumer-friendly. One of the things that did strike me as interesting in your article, and you, you touched on this earlier, is the idea, too, if you're taking a prescription that works for you, you're going to be – there's a stickiness there that I think exceeds any other product. I mean, like, this isn't tied. This isn't anything. You know it works for you. You know, like, the side effects, the, all those things. And this is, mm. you know, you're sort yeah. of getting comfortable with that. And changing to another drug, which has a lot of unknowns, right. is there's a, I think there's a bigger barrier to that, too. Yeah, just healthcare and medicine generally is a different kind of market. We approach it very differently as consumers, as patients, than we do buying Tide Pods, for yeah. you know. Right. That's really true. The other thing to keep in mind is, so we've, uh, and that's really important is that not all of this is, you know, the, the, the fault of the drug companies. But also keep in mind that the drug companies do try to incentivize patients to take their – to start with their products and stay on them by offering help if their insurance covers the drug with the co-pays or other out-of-pocket costs. So Pfizer, for instance – um, can lower help can subsidize your copay so that it's as little as six dollars a month. 
Wow. All right. One uh, one question I have just sort of – this is a little bit off topic. But as I said earlier, drug pricing has been this huge topic of the political uh, season. It, would be a, it wouldn't be a Muddy Beat podcast without bringing up Donald Trump. Um, what is the – we saw health care stocks and pharmaceuticals rally after uh, the election. What's the view on drug pricing regulation um, now that Trump is, you know, has won the election? So this is like something I've been really struggling with. It's a really good question because during the campaign, Donald Trump was a – just like Hillary yeah. was tweeting about, you know, greedy drug companies and price gouging. And so there are legitimate reasons to think that he might crack down on it. But then after the election, there's this um, sort of reconsideration of what he said. And everybody thinks that he might actually be good for health care. He won't take the kind of steps that a Democratic president and a Democratic-controlled Congress might take in order to restrain drug pricing. I was always of the view that um, if Hillary got elected, her campaign rhetoric not would not necessarily translate into action right. against hmm. the drug companies because we saw that same pattern when Bill Clinton got elected president, yeah. too. They're like a great campaign foil, but be, be, partly because drug spending is only you know, a fifth of healthcare spending overall. That's not like the big prey here, right? And that's not going to make the kind of difference that some other reforms might. I'm still unsure what kind of president Donald Trump is going to be and whether he's going to be a sort of more typically conservative, um, pharma-friendly Republican or whether he will be this populist who, when he sees, you know, uh, complaints about the rising cost of a particular drug, will take action just like he did with, you know, the carrier plan in Indiana to try and um, lower that, that increase. Yeah. Well, and also, as you point out, uh, you know, lawmakers in Congress are being asked to look at this and, and FTC is looking at it, right? So, I mean, this is probably going to be – this will be a, a, something you'll be able to write about in 2017, I'm sure, right? Yeah. We'll yeah. come back here and we'll right. talk about it some more. All right. Jonathan Rockoff, thank you very much. Good story, sir. Thank you. We Thanks. will be back in a moment. We're going to talk about – Virtual reality. Love tech? Dig gadgets? Then make tech news briefing from the Wall Street Journal a part of your day. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Bee Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio. And as always, I just want to remind you folks, if you want more podcasts from the journal, you can check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Have a lot to uh, a lot to offer you. Your Money Matters, Money Beat, of course, Free For All, Speakeasy, WSJ Opinion, Heard on the Street, What's News, Tech News Briefing. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts, and you can subscribe iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play Music app. We are everywhere where you need to be, and we are we are in your ear at this moment. And what we want to talk about now is, you know, Grocer, as you know, as maybe some people don't quite realize, as you know, I was on vacation last week. Did I think not all our studio. listeners. Do you think everyone that? realized yes. that? And uh, one thing I saw while I was on vacation on social media, because I would check in every now and again. One thing I saw that that. Um, was was the most interesting thing to me was was you with a VR headset on that a is virtual correct. reality headset in the in the newsroom in the newsroom you were there 
Yes. What did no, you, so, so, so essentially, tell, tell, essentially yeah, I mean, what, where the WSJ has come out with an app. Um, I think it's with Google. Uh, so you can get on your Android. If you have a Pixel phone on an Android device, you can get this. And what it is is it's just an app to see our news. But also the part I was, I think, a consultant on was the market data mm-hmm. part. And what we wanted to sort of was was a way of mapping out the markets and showing in three-dimensional, um, you know, how they were performing. Interesting. And, Very and, interesting. And it, 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 it actually, I have to say, Roger Kenny, uh, who was, you know. One of our tech guys. One yeah. of our tech guys and one of the main uh, guys on this, did a fabulous job. Uh, it, it, it's really clean, smooth, um, you know. I have been a huge proponent of virtual reality since the first time I was introduced to it. I just think it's fascinating. I think it's tremendous. I think everyone looks a little crazy when you've got one of those headsets on, but it is, it is to me, it is just an amazing technology. It is really just mind-blowing, but, but it may be. But, but, but this is one of the things, that, like why we were talking before we came back on the air, was we've sort of been, been, been promised this virtual reality for how many years now? Right. 20, 30 well, no, I mean, but realistically, you know, with their actual products, things right. you could buy, but it the hasn't promise, been... the promise of it has been sort of, I think... Well, but it's more science fiction. I mean, in the last two years, you were really starting to see these products. Oh, yeah. That they're real. You can stick them on your head and you can look at things in virtual reality. However, and that is the reason why, folks, we have Dan Gallagher on the line from San Francisco, heard on the street columnist. Dan, how are you? Great. How are you guys? We're good. Did you like our little? We were trying to set you up there for your your piece, uh, which you wrote about virtual reality. I wish I could have seen you guys with the headset on in the newsroom. That would have been fun. I'm pretty sure. Is it? Was it in Holmes' uh, Twitter feed? Yes. Yeah. Everyone, if you want to see Grocer with a, a VR headset on, go to Eric Holmes' Twitter feed and scroll back there, and I'm sure you'll find it. It was, it was ah, quite entertaining. It was quite entertaining. So. Look, virtual reality has arrived. The products are here. You can go out and buy them. They they exist now. It's not just you know science fiction. It's not fantasy. It's not promise. It is there. How's it doing, Dan? Uh, I think it's off to a slow start, and yeah. I think and I think that was to be expected because. You know, for one, these things are are pretty expensive. Even for you know they, what they've launched for is they've launched targeted the the targeting the you know the hardcore video gamer crowd, right. um, and and these are people that'll that'll spend you know significant amounts of money for for you know high end game experiences. So it makes sense for them to do that. But there's not a, there's not uh, there's a lot of games coming out for them and are in development. There's nothing that I would say is like. You know, a breakthrough game that people right yet that that people are saying, "Wow, I've got to, I've got to buy that technology because I want to have that." And the end of the day, content is what really sells right. any kind of game game equipment. You don't buy the equipment just to have the box. You you want to use the experience. So I I think a combination of the fact that they're still relatively costly and you know game developers are still figuring out the technology i think it's a slow start for a while until until it becomes like a truly mass market thing yeah and it still is i mean it's 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 an un i don't want to say uncomfortable necessarily but but i can't think of a better word it, it, it's sort of an uncomfortable weird thing for people when like like how, you know the what well, did you think you know you put those things on how do you no, feel no that's exactly the problem yeah. with it 
I think is the fact that you're cutting yourself off from the universe that you're actually right. exist in for this virtual reality. But like you have people around you that you're no longer, you know, like Eric Holm who can take a picture of you and right. tweet and it you out have and no, have no idea. idea. Yeah. Because I'm in this world. And I mean, that's why, you know, there's a like, you know, a, a social break that sort of strikes me as like, it, it, which leaves virtual reality. And you watch the commercials too, where it leaves this these virtual reality um, systems where it's like, oh, that's kind of neat to play with for a little bit. But it's not something I'm going to be constantly using, like your iPhone or right, you right. Know, something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, I, okay, so the first time I put on a, a, a VR headset was, it was, I was at South by Southwest in 2015 and I was at this party and they were uh, demoing the Oculus Rift, which I don't think it had gone to the market yet or something. I don't know. And there was this five-minute film that you were in, and it was, it was, unbelie- it was unbelievably mind. I mean, it was mind-blowing to me. And I thought, as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh my god, this is going to change everything. This is absolutely incredible. And, and I'm as weirdo luddite as as anybody, you know. And I understand that it's a strange thing. You're cutting yourself off from the world, but it is. It's fascinating. I just think it's the most incredible technology, and eventually it, it just has some. And what I really thought was, I thought someday somebody is going to make a Raiders of the Lost Ark in VR, and it is going to absolutely just blow people away. But I think that gets back to Dan's point. Yeah. Right now, the content's not there. The content's not right there. Right there, yeah. there's not any like there isn't the need to have this. Right. Right now, you, it need, exists. you need to have the content really yeah. made for it. Right. And I think it takes it takes content makers a long time to figure out how to do that yeah. in, a, in a way that actually works. Because it doesn't work, I think it doesn't work to port in just a movie, even a really good movie, because, and James Cameron, like Mitch, the big director of Avatar and Titanic, talked about this a couple of years ago at a conference that where he talked about, you know, in a, in a movie, a director, you know, frames a shot and, and takes you through, you know, and you, what you see is what the director wants you to exactly. see. And in VR, you're... You're you're controlling what you see, and your the experience is more in the user hands and users hands, and so the you know whatever the movie, the game, the experience has to be tailored to that, right? Which is very different than the way they they are typically designed, right? No, you're absolutely right, and uh, I don't. Do you watch Mr. Robot Gallagher? Oh, me? Yeah. Uh, I've only seen like I think one episode. I haven't uh, really watched okay. the whole series. Uh, I thought everyone in San Francisco watched Mr. Robot, <laughs> but. Uh, I, no, go. I'm sorry. No, I think um, I, I think when you, I think that'll be one thing that gets to it. And the other thing, especially one challenge in the game business, is that gamers are used to plugging in a disc and playing. Like hardcore gamers will play for hours upon hours upon hours. You know, yeah. your 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 Call of Duties, Halos, and those sorts of games. And you can't really do VR that way. I mean, it's there's there's physical demands on the user, and there's actually, you know, some research that says it's not really good for your for your brain or your eyes to be plugged <laughs> in that long. And so oh, wow. I, I yeah. think part of the experiences have to be uh, game design, I think has to be almost rethought to where, right. you know, games are designed to kind of go in, I don't know, I, this off the top of my head, but in like chapter mode where you, where you're plugged in for, you know, 10, yeah. 15, you know, five, 10 minutes or something at a time. And it's a thrilling time. And then, and then you break off yeah. and, I mean, those are the types of questions that I think the technology is there for it, but how to do the content in a way that works um, well for the technology and for the user is still, I think, a, a big work in progress. 
Yeah, the, the the reason I mentioned Mr. Robot is because they did, the, the creator, Sam Esmail, did a small VR film, a short, uh, based on the show, with the characters from the show, but it was done in virtual reality, and it was very, it was very interesting. But you could tell that to use the technology, to your point, uh, Dan, about how this stuff has to be used, you, you could tell that it is, it's filmed at a different pace, the... The script moves at a different pace because it's not a director framing things and show you like it, it, it was it, it was really interesting, but it was definitely a different tone and a different pacing. And because you're in 360 degrees and they actually were very subtle, but they did they they did film it in such a way that your eyes were drawn to where the director wanted you to go. But at the same time, you could look wherever you wanted to. It yeah. was really interesting, and I, I just think filmmakers more and more are going to experiment with it and slowly figure out how to use it and use it well. But you're right; yeah. I mean, it's a long, it's it's a ways off. And and I think the and I think some of the initial things will be what we call maybe an add-on experience rather than a full-on. Right. You know, like you said, that's a, that's a thing that adds on to a popular TV show. Um, Electronic Arts actually did. A, it was called a little chapter that they did for their Star Wars Battlefront game that's in VR now for if you have the Sony VR, and it's not a full-on game, but it's a it's a it's a port it's a portion of it. So that if you have Battlefront, you know, and you're playing it on your PlayStation and you have a VR headset, you can actually put on the headset to do this part of it. Yeah. Um, so th- I, I think those are those are actually some smart ways to to play with the technology. But again, you have the you have the problem of you know, those could be cool experiences on their own, but in mass, are they enough to yeah. say, okay, that's worth five hundred, seven hundred thousand bucks to to have the technology to do that? Right. One of the questions is, what other ways do you see VR being used in some of the you know the companies that are playing around with it, like Google and the Facebook, especially, see it being used? Well, I, I think Facebook obviously sees it as. You know, a social network of the future. They they actually demoed that a couple months ago in their in their Oculus uh, user conference. So they didn't they didn't do this just so they could have a high end gaming console. Right. I think the reason they invested in it is they see it a lot more broadly. And you know, over the years that I've covered, you know, people talking about VR, you know, lots of potentially use in things like retail, uh, real estate across industries. There's a there's a lot of, I'd say there's a lot of investment and time in the in the development community to figure out use cases um, different use cases for it um, the trick when you get into businesses and is that you know it's it's one thing to have the technology there but you have to have people design the content for it I actually went to an architectural office a few blocks from my office my office here a couple months ago and they took me through a new headquarters of a major um, Silicon Valley company that they're doing the headquarters for, and they did that in virtual reality. You plug, you put on a. Um, uh, they were using the HTC headset, but you put that on, and you were actually able to go through the schematics and plans. And it was really, it was really something. And obviously, for this firm, it was a way that they actually secure and work with, you know, clients with a lot of money for these right. kinds of projects. That's really interesting. You know, one place I see it, and I've been trying to. You know, we've we've been experimenting with it here and there, but I mean, I think this is tremendous for the news industry. I, I'm kind of surprised it hasn't, because I think technically it's a little more difficult than to actually do it. But I mean, I, I think it has tremendous potential for the news industry. Absolutely tremendous potential. I mean, if you can get 
get the technology down to a point where you can have a 360-degree camera that shoots video, and you can send a reporter out into the field with that and teach them how to use it well, uh, you can offer people something that is just unbelievable. Yeah, you can put them in spots of the world they can't get to. I mean, I try to... I tried a VR experience of, um, earlier this year that was essentially climbing Everest. Mm. You know, it was a simulation of yeah. going up some, and obviously it's a very, it was an animated thing. It wasn't like live photography, yeah. which, you know, I think maybe over time it gets to that. But it was actually, when I did that, I thought, okay, that's really cool because I'm very unlikely to go to the top of Everest in my lifetime. I'm not that, uh, I'm not that sort of climber, but it'd be interesting to see, okay, what do people actually see when they're doing this um you know what does it look like and i think those are the kinds of things that give this technology a, a ton of possibility right that um i think that the what we're seeing in the consumer launches is just basically the very early seeds of it um and it's and it's just going to take i think it'll it'll catch on slower than things like smartphones do because the the use cases there are just a lot easier to get and understand and adopt um, this is a more challenging technology, but it's got a ton of potential. Dan Gallagher, I know you have somewhere to be, and we are basically now at the point where we are just wasting your time. So yep. thank you, sir, for coming <laughs> on. We appreciate it as always. Pleasure as always. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for listening. Hope we didn't waste your time, and we will catch up with you again very soon. Got money in the markets? Check out Your Money Matters from the Wall Street Journal. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.